welcome listeners to, the, to today's episode of Supercoach Mates. And today is a bit of a special one because we will be revealing our pre-season lineups. Not all of it, but um, basically our primos and mid-prices and things like that because rookies are subject to change. And we will be going through um, the rule changes that were implemented recently by the guys at, at Supercoach um, for this season. Uh, today we're joined by Jonas, so he's back from a bit of a hiatus, obviously missing the last few. How are you? Good. Great to be back. Yeah, a bit of fun. And this one will be a good one because we'll see how similar... We haven't actually seen each other's teams yet until now. Or Nathan, not obviously, he's not on today, but um, myself and Jonas actually haven't seen each other's teams with regards to premium. So it'll definitely be um, an interesting one for sure and see how close we've actually lined up together with, with our primo selections. But I guess we've got to start somewhere, and that is the defence. Um, we won't be, obviously, as I said in the intro, we won't be discussing uh, rookies as per much because we've got a separate um, rookie podcast lined up later on in pre-season. And as you, as you super coaches are all aware, those change um, on a daily basis, basically, with these rookies. And it really depends on who plays round ones. There's no point for us really to um, discuss that because they're more placeholders than any, anything other than the likes of Dacos and things like that. But we've already touched on a few of those boys in, in our pre-season team podcast. But... Um, we'll start with the defenders, uh, Jonas. Let's list yep. off your boys that are that are in your primo selection, and we'll go from there. Sure. Um, so I've picked a few players who have got a few durability question marks, but I think with the extra five trades, durability is slightly less of a concern. But at the moment, I've got four primos in the defense. Aaron Hall at number one, then Crisp, Jordan Dawson and Lockie Whitfield so far. So you got like the D D four is Lockie Whitfield. Yep. Cool. All right. First question off for you: Where's Lloyd in that selection? Yeah, it's a good question. I think with Lloyd, he's he's still quite expensive. I know he's at a discounted price compared to last year. However, I don't think the departure of Dawson helps him that much. I think his scoring was pretty similar. On top of that, because he's the most expensive uh, defender going around, I haven't been able to squeeze him into my side. If I find an extra 30K, I'll probably move a Dawson up to Lloyd. But at the moment, he's one of those picks where I think if you start him, you won't lose out. And if you don't start him at his price, he's going to have to score 120, which I think his days of doing that are over. So for him to score 120 is the only way he's going to hurt me, I believe. And I don't think, just with natural regression, I don't see that happening. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, like, I was a Lloyd owner last year. Um, and he was pretty disappointing because I had him from, from day one as, as pretty much the number one ranked um, super coach defender from the previous year. And he definitely showed a, a bit of regression, as you said, with his scoring. He had a few pop-offs, you know, Suns 154, and then he played the Blues early on in the season, 142. So he definitely has a potential. Um, I've got him locked in at the moment just because of his discounted starting price as D1. Um, whether or not that changes, I really like the look of Crisp as well, so he could easily swap for Lloyd. Um, Dawson has as, as, um, popped up in a few teams, obviously, including yourself. I haven't got him as well. Um you have him? I don't have him, don't have you him. You don't? Okay. Uh, not at the moment, at least. I think he's 540k, isn't he? 550. Oh, 550, yeah. So, don't have him yet. Um, 
but he does have like he's definitely my radar. It just depends on where Adelaide play him. Um, if he plays on a wing the whole day, I'm not too confident on him. But there's been rumours that he's playing midfield, and if he does play like with Rory Laird, it could be a decent option. Um, or even if he goes in the back half. But yeah, he's a wait and see for me. But for me, I've I've got three defenders. Um, for the primos and the rest of rookies at the moment, which I'm slightly concerned about just because of the scoring potential of those rookies. But for now, it, you know, the only thing that would change would probably be a D4 and just reshuffle. But for me, I've got Lloyd, Hall and Whitfield. Um, so similar to you with regards to Hall and Whitfield. Um, Hall, you know, people are obviously slightly worried about his injury potential, but I don't think, I think listeners tend to forget um, that he actually got his injury potential and his, his real bad injuries early on. When he wasn't actually playing that halfback role, he was playing more midfield and forward or whatever he was, um, rather than the defence. And he was he's barely getting touched in the defence. No one's really tagging him. He's he's getting free appeal. And if you continue that, he's a you know, no brainer at that price. Whitfield was an interesting one because I actually didn't have him in there. Um, I had Jaden Short. Whitfield was purely a cash um, regeneration to because I needed a thirty k elsewhere. But Whitfield, I'm a little bit concerned about. He does have DPP, which is good. Um, which is always useful, but I'm worried that Short might go gangbusters without Hooley, and that's my thinking with Lloyd as well, just because Lloyd was sharing the pill a little bit with Dawson um, throughout. Obviously, wasn't as prevalent this year with his possessions, um, but I did have Short at D3. Whether or not I go back to Short or not, it's another question, or even if Whitfield becomes a D4, but for now... You know, if Whitfield, no injuries, healthy preseason, obviously runs all day. And I think new new season, obviously, um, GWS will want to really re-pump their, their season and rubber stamp the competition on why they're so good. They've got so many talented players and Whitfield's a bit of a letdown. But he's got the ability to pump out a 150 playing off that midfield or behind the ball as well. So, yeah, that's, that's the defenders pretty much. Yeah, I, I like picking those defenders who have the capabilities of playing a lot of mid mid minutes. I think that's where the points come from. And you saw that with Mills and Laird last year. My question to you is, if you do have to find a fourth primo defender or just a defender who has good job security because of rookies may be a bit thin in that line, where will you find the money to extract and then put into defense? And who are you looking at? Um, so, yeah, good question. So I've gone as deep as... M5 for the mids. I'm not sure about yourself, Jonas. So I've got Lockie Neal at M5 um, and Jared Perry yeah. at M6. My midfield's pretty stacked in that regards, and the other midfield is all top tier. Um, so I've obviously spent a fair bit of money in the midfield, um, and that's because the only reason I've done that is last year I screwed myself up by not picking Oliver. Um, and no, I had McCray, so Oliver I didn't have last year, and I'm going to pick him this year 100% just because he killed me last year. Um, so obviously the one that would remove would be almost, you know, titch or something like that. And just yeah. one thinner in the mids. Barry's obviously a question mark on his durability and his role. So obviously once that becomes a bit more clearer come preseason games, he obviously could get let go for say a Horn Francis or someone like that, save an extra 60 K on that as well. And that's where the money will chuck into the defense. I think, because I think the defense is an interesting one because it's not, there's obviously a fair few premiums, but those premiums are the ones you want to be selecting anyway. Whereas the mids, you can get away with a little bit of deviation and the forward line we'll get to later on is, is a bit of a shit show at the moment. Um, yeah. There's not so many good options at all. So it'll be interesting. But as I said, I'm happy with, with having three rookies at the moment with Sin being my fourth one. 
Um, okay. Whether they, you know, how confident he is at Port is another story. But if those three rookies play, and I'm happy with the bench rookies. I'll be happy to run three defense and go heavy in the midfield, just because I think running heavy in the midfield might help to start off a good season, just with the scoring potential of all those five players. Um, but we'll see how we go for sure. Yeah. Fair enough. All right, we'll move on to the midfield. I think we've a few notable omissions from our defence lines like Ridley, who could regain his early season form from last year. And if Stewart's 100% off his foot injury, will again be amongst the top scorers, but there's a bit of doubt on him. But onto the midfield, can you give us, a, or listeners, an indication of who your eight midfielders are, especially those above the 200k mark? Yeah, so obviously we've got eight to select from. Um, my M7, M8, obviously Dacos is M7, and then M8's Ward at the moment. You know, those rookies will change potentially, um, but those are my placeholders for the time being. But the, the six that are pretty much locked in from the minute I've opened up Supercoach is McRae, Steele, Oliver, Mitchell, um, Neil and Barry. So... You know, McRae is still Oliver pick for themselves, pretty much. You know, year in, year out, you could even chuck Took in there as an option. Uh, Mitchell is the one that I've actually swapped in and out with Sam Walsh. Um, I'm a big fan of Walsh, as in I had him... I was very late to him last year, as in I picked him just before round one. So I picked him on the night of that cup and got real lucky, obviously, because he went nuts on that day. And I haven't looked back on him since. He's obviously a real fun player to watch as well. Um, Titch was an interesting one because I had Titch at the start as well. Um, oh, no, maybe not had him at the start. I might have brought him in once Dusty got uh, something like that. I swapped one. I swapped Mitchell in for someone. I'm not sure who, but ever since then, in that first portion of the year, he was really disappointing, um, which really frustrated the hell out of me because he get 35 disposals and not score well. Um, but it was actually, I had a chat with someone on Facebook um, about Titch and Walsh. Um, and it, they brought to the attention of after the buy round, which I'm just looking up now, was round so round 12 was Hawthorne's buy last year. And from round 13 onwards, Titch didn't go under 110. So 110 was his lowest score against a loss to Port. And he was hitting 150, 130, 127. Pretty consistent scoring. So I'm banking on the fact that he can um, you know, lock in those scores from round one. He obviously started round one really well in last year against the Bombers and scored 135 and then obviously dropped off a little bit. But just with Titch, his, his low scores aren't really that low at all. Um, yeah. like highs are ridiculous at times. Walsh, on the other hand, is the ability to go even higher with, with scores like 170, 180, as he did against Colin, against your lot. But Don't, don't remind yeah. me. <laughs> um, I mean, his lows are obviously quite low. He, he probably shot me in the foot a little bit as well. I just held him because... You know, I had him from the start, so there was no real need to get rid of him. But there were probably two, the two games when he got tagged heavily by Matt DeBoer um, when they played JWS, and he scored like 70-odd. Um, cost me a little bit. And, you know, I'm probably paying a little bit cheaper for Mitchell. Um, and, yeah, that's, that's the only speculative pick for no midfield. I haven't really touched Neil either. Neil's a lock for me just at his price point. It's ridiculous, 540k. He's got the ability to outscore the likes of McRae, Steele, and Oliver, and he's priced 100k less. Um, so if it is one of those players that get removed, it probably will be one of McRae, Steele, Oliver, and Mitchell um, to get in another, to, to free up a fair few bit of funds. Because if you look at the price differential for, say, a, a Crisp or a Dawson, 
you're saving yourself another 140k. And then Barry again, another 60k. If I go down to Francis, there's another 200k there available, which means I could easily bring in a 400k forward as well. So it really depends on on where the defenders line up round one, but I'm pretty happy with that midfield at the moment. Um, what are your thoughts on your midfield, Jonas? Who have you got? What have you, what have you got the same or different with your six, say, or, or seven, whatever? Got a few different picks, but I can't really argue with the ones you've selected. The only thing I'd say is when you're picking players like Lloyd, McRae, Steele, all these really good players, but at their top price, I don't think you'll definitely be able to pick them at a cheaper price um, sometime during the year. It's a slight risk. And so that's why when I'm looking at players, I try and pick obviously the really good ones, but not every good player because obviously you sacrifice money because you'll be able to find these players at a cheaper price sometime down the track. But anyway, with my midfield, I've got Jack Steele, Tuke Miller, Oliver, Walsh and Neil as my five premiums. I just think with Steele and Miller, they're pretty safe picks. I can't see them going too wrong. Oliver, I'd love to get up to McRae, but at the moment I've only got 3,000 in the bank. So, I mean, Oliver's shown how good he was last year. Obviously, I'd love to get McRae in, but you can't fit them all in. And then with Walsh, I just think, as you are saying, DeBoer, ruined his season slightly but yeah. I think was a year older now I don't know how much more game time he'll be getting um and and then yeah at Neil's price I think he he can almost barring steel I think he'll he has the potential to be the second highest mids mid scorer so I think he's a pretty safe and obvious pick um but yeah, those are the five. And as for a mid-pricer at M6, I've got Barry at the moment just because of he's proven himself over the years to be a capable scorer. And he's had a full preseason so far. So mm-hmm. he'll start in my team at the moment. Apparently, Fagan likes him a lot as well. But unless proven otherwise about his durability or job security, yeah, I'll probably be starting him. Yeah, I guess we we pretty much got the same same thought. Obviously, Mitchell and Walsh is a differential. I mean, that's I've I've discussed that at length just beforehand. And yeah. Yeah. As I said, the one that I remove is one of those top four. If I wanted to free up some funds, but I guess midfielders you've just got to get right because they're the heavy scorers in your team. If you don't get them right, you're already behind the eight ball. So it's 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 one line you don't really want to touch because, you know, you have the argument where say you got McRae at almost seven hundred k. Um, and you want, oh, I'll pick him up at 600 or 650 or whatever. But you're not gaining too much because he could go off and maybe not hit his 130, 40 average and even rise higher. But he might hit your 120s and 30s and just drop a little bit. And then you probably haven't gained too much because you're not saving yourself a ton of cash. Obviously, it's a different story if they were injured or or suddenly cop tag after tag after tag or something like that. That's a different story in, in completion. But... Um, yeah, for sure. You want to want to keep it safe with those mids. But um, we'll move on to the rucks now because obviously there's a highly contested debate that we've had with discussion with other guests that come on our podcast about, you know, whether we pick just the R1, R2 safe safe picks or we move on to, to picking someone like a Pruce who 
who's significantly cheaper, can score well for his price as a ruckman. Um, and the other question I have for you, Jonas, have you now considered Rowan Marshall because of this whole DPP possibility that he might get a ruck forward role with, with how they've changed up, similar to how AFL Fantasy do it? Or have you just stuck fat with Darcy and Grundy for now? I'm still sticking with Darcy Grundy. But, yeah, Marshall is now somewhat more relevant. But I think, well, if he gets forward eligibility in round six, I'll just pick him as a forward in round six. Um, I, I'm not going to run the risk that he plays. If I start him, you're running the risk that he plays forward at the start of the year. And if he does, sure, that's a good thing because he becomes forward eligible. But he's also going to be scoring slightly lower because he's playing less ruck minutes. So I'd rather just let that one play out and jump on him in round six if he's scoring well and has that forward eligibility. And if he's not scoring that well, just wait and see, let him find his feet a bit into the year and then pick him at his lowest price. Are you also going um, Darcy Grundy or do you have... Yeah, yeah. No, I, do, I do have the same. I did flirt with the, flirt, flirt with the idea about having um, Proust in there. He did look nice having extra premiums left, right, centre, but it almost felt a little bit ridiculous and a little bit scared that I didn't have Darcy Grundy in the setup. I've just, I've just brought up Darcy's scores. I didn't actually realise how well he just scored last year. Um, his low scores weren't low at all. And the only risk with Darcy is... Um, that he's basically knees made out of, out of tape. So he's a little bit scary yeah. when he comes down. He's such a big man as well that he, I think, for the last couple games, I know um, there were super coaches out there that had him come in um, and were definitely hiding behind a couch whenever he went down because I think he went down and then came back out, went down, came out, um, yeah. and things like that. But who knows? I mean, he's one of those players that I think everyone's now cottoned onto as, as R1 almost. Um, and if you want to stay with the pack at least um, for the first half of the, or the first few games of the season, he's probably someone you probably should have. Um, that's for sure. Just with Rowan Marshall, I guess, from a Saints perspective, I think Ryder's pretty fit at the moment. He looks healthy and fit and he looks rearing to have an, another season at it. Um, if that's the case, the guy's playing ruck and Rowan's playing forward, for, uh, forward unfortunately. I don't think Marshall's going to take any ruck time away from, from Ryder just with how effective Ryder's tap work is. Um, but if he does get that eligibility, which obviously if Ryder's fit and capable, um, that means Marshall's going to play so much more forward for us, which is a good thing for, for St Kilda. Um, but for Supercoach, it's not as much. And and I guess if he does get an eligibility, it almost could be worth picking him later on in your forward line because then you get a ruck forward um, for your ruck bench and then you've got that swap around for the buyers. So... That's someone I've got my definitely as a target for an upgrade, but but definitely not for now. Um, just you'd rather see how it plays out and, and whether or not, um, you know, Marshall and Ryder, if Ryder goes down injured, Marshall may play 100% ruck or vice versa. So um, he's one of those players that if he does play ruck, he's probably not going to get that, that ruck eligibility, uh, ruck forward eligibility, and he's a bit of a waste of a pick. Even though he's capable of scoring 120, 130, um, he's definitely a little bit below the picking order compared to Grundy and Darcy. But I guess we're on the same page as that. Um, I know Nathan's a big fan of Nick Nat, but we think we talked him out of it um, early on in the podcast. But um, I guess we'll, we'll we'll hear about what he has to say when when um, 
when when we come to the preseason, oh not the preseason, the round one team reveal um, later on. But I guess the last line we've got to do with before we have a little bit of a deep dive into the new change rules, new the new rule changes and and how we um, perceive those ones. Forward line is is definitely a bit of a you know shit up the shit up the creek um, with with the selections that the forward premiums, the ones over five hundred k, aren't the most enticing in the world and, and there's not many, usually the rookies in the forward line are the bit of a tragic case in that regard because they never really score well. Obviously, there's some exceptions to the case, but um, we'll start with you, Jonas, um, before I have a go at listing my four, four forward lines. They've been pretty much locked in from day one um, by a recent change. What is your structure of the forward line looking like? Well, this line has changed drastically since the announcement of the uh, new rules. Initially, I had uh, Dunkley in there with mm-hmm. a Butters or a Dugowie or a Haney alongside him. But with the new rules, I've decided to keep the forward line very bare and minimal. Yep. And I'm just running at the moment Dunkley at F1. And at F2, I've gone all the way down to Coleman, Cornelio, Ooh, Jesus. and then rookies. Um McGuinness and Hollands are my rookies, and then I got Skinner, who I just hope play. But yeah, my th- logic is the midfield and the defense are where the points are going to be, and then come round six, hopefully some uh, midfielders get DPP in the forward line, and then you pick them. It's- yeah, eyes and the likes of Fife and stuff. I'm assuming. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I like the Coleman pick though. Dunkley, I'm not going to go too much into detail. I think he's a pretty um clear-cut pick but with Coleman he's apparently um in some training he looked really good off the halfback line he was playing in the in the main team and reports showed that he was uh good both offensively and defensively so at the moment he's locked in plus the fact he's got um defender forward eligibility is really good because there are a fair few defender forward rookies I've got in my team at the moment like uh, Sam Skinner, Will Kelly, and DeConing. So being able to flip them around when need be, I think could be very useful. Yep. A strange thing I noticed just yesterday with my forward line is everyone I've got in there has some sort of dual position eligibility. Uh, there's not one player who's just forward only. So I think that that in itself being able to switch players from defense and forward line should mean I'm be, I should be able to at least have six playing players for the first six weeks in the forward line before I bring in another premium to bolster that line. Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, I, I've bring, I've gone pretty light in the forward line as well. A um, little bit different to you. I've got an extra kind of primo selection, if you want to say that. So I've obviously got Dunkley in the in the forward line as well to f1 i'm a little bit concerned about dunkley um with regards to where we actually line up round one whether it's midfield or forward um however when he's probably you know half his shitty scoring from last year probably had something to do with his injury and his interrupted kind of season but whenever wherever he plays for the dogs he scores and it's just he provides so much grunt and pressure in that dog's midfield or forward line that he just racks up disposals and he's got the ability for a forward which is really important to score big uh, which not many other forwards have this year like you've got Duncan and Taranto Taranto can't kick and uh, Duncan's pretty injury prone so 
and yeah. they, they don't really score too high, so they, they score your low hundreds. Um, if anything, Duncan's probably the other one that is on my radar a little bit, but I'd rather wait and see with him just because of his injuries and his load management as well. Um, F2, I've gone with your boy Dugowie for now, which I originally had as butters. Mm-hmm. Butters, I got rid of when I heard about the rule changes. Um, Dugowie's an interesting one. Obviously, his court case has been cleared for now. I know he's been having to work hard to, to regain the trust of his group, obviously, from this situation. But I've heard that he's basically tearing down the track. I mean, you might have a bit to say about Dugowie as well. But just because, I mean, I had him last year and basically picked him up for a very similar price. And for the price I picked him up for last year and him scoring 100 to 120 basically every week by like one or two, I can't really say no to it. I know they play St Kilda round one and St Kilda don't tag. So um, he could be one that goes off a little bit. And he, when I watched him close, I mean, I, I guess I'll get your thoughts on it after I... Um, name out the other two players in my forward line yeah. kind of locks just watching Dugowie play he kind of he plays you know you, you say the dusty role a little bit but dusty doesn't defend in, in a sense but Dugowie always gets back as well um and you can see him when he goes in that back line he's pretty much um you know screaming for that ball to get given to him he d- demands that ball and he's a, he's a player that shows huge presence on the field and he demands it and he actually isn't actually a bad kick. I know um, Jonas has just typed in a chat. He's, he's similar to Mills, which I guess you're not wrong there. Mills is is a guy that was like really frustrating not to win last year for bits of it um, in the early parts because he just score because he's everywhere. Um, he's a really demanding player on that field. And, and a guy like Dugowie, um is really nice to see when he gets out the ruck and, and goes forward and kicks a goal as well, which always boosts his score. So... Um, I was a little bit worried with him injury-wise because playing full-time midfield, but definitely was quite impressive um, when when he was when he was scoring scoring hundreds um, in that role. But um, I'll get your thoughts on my forward line in a minute. But the last I've got in, and I know this guy hasn't really been named in many people's teams, is Jade Gresham. I'm not sure why. Um, from a St Kilda perspective, obviously there's a bit of risk of him being, having an Achilles injury. Um, and being such a long recovery and him having consistent injuries. And St Kilda might want to put him on ice a little bit and play him up forward. But I'm super confident that that's a play we exactly need to come back on that side and really rebound our team. And he's openly come out and said that he's had a nice pre-season. He's ready to rock and roll round one. Um, and the other one that's obviously a lock in everyone's side at the moment is Coniglio. Um, Cogs is an interesting one just because, you know, he... Everyone picked him in previous times in that midfield for a discount and price, and, and look where that got everyone kind of up shit creek um, when he played forward in that small forward role. Um, but I guess for me, he's got a point to prove redemption year almost for him in a sense. He, he almost, he, you know, he was a bit of a laughing stock with his getting captaincy and then playing so poorly and then getting dropped by Leon Cameron as a captain's, you know, would be pretty embarrassing for him um, internally as well as externally. So I guess he's got a huge point to prove, and if he if he proves his point at 260k, he's a bargain if you look at the other players around him. But as as Jonas mentioned, I'm definitely looking at that option as well where I go really skint in the forward line and, and hope the guys like Fife go in mid-forward and you just pick them straight away because they've got midfield-like scoring and that'll obviously help out my position where I'm able to pick five in five deep in the, um, in the midfield but also bring up another defender as well. But yeah, what are your thoughts on that, Jonas? I think, yeah... Your picks, um, at least to me, seem quite good. With Gresham, I just need to see 
it firsthand, him playing midfield minutes and looking comfortable. I remember hearing somewhere he was training a bit with a forward. So whenever I hear anyone training with any forward line, I uh, reserve some doubt. But if he's lining up in the preseason matches in, in the midfield and getting consistent centre bounce attendances, I'll, I'll look to squeeze him into my team somewhere or another. With the Dugowie pick, I'm looking at his scores last year. From round 13 onwards, he scored a 115, 114, 114, 80, 138, 85, 119, and 102. Yeah. So if he's playing that midfield role, I'll be trading Dawson out, moving Coleman back, and then picking Dugowie and giving myself an extra 90K for rookies or the like. Um, I just heard somewhere that when he returned to training, he spent a fair bit of time down forward. So if he retains that midfield role, I'll, I'll be picking him without a doubt. But mm -hmm. if he's playing forward, I'll definitely um, wait and see on Dugowie because aerobically, I think he's pretty good having come back from that America camp where he was riding each and every day. But there are a few question marks over A, his integration back in the team because he hasn't been training with yeah. the players. Yeah, and B, he's got a different coach now. Like with Buckley, he was obviously averaging pretty poorly playing forward. And then Harvey came along and stuck him in the midfield. But now we've got McRae mm -hmm. who could think differently to Harvey. So I think with Dugowie, I'm going to wait and see if – and hopefully um, he thinks similarly – as to what Harvey did with regards to where to play him, because from what I could tell, he's he's a far more effective um, midfielder. Obviously, he's quite damaging on forward, and so he can spend some stints up in the forward line. But, yeah, for me, I'm just going to wait and see on um, his training and then also where he plays in the JLT. And if he tears that up, I'll be picking him. Um, but yeah, with regards to the Mills comparison, I was, I owned Mills last year. So I, I've seen him a fair bit with how he plays. Didn't start with him, unfortunately, but he's one of those players that lurks around the contest and he doesn't get the ball first usually, but no, he runs yeah. a bit like Tuke Miller in, in a sense and just racks up easy marks and stuff. And Dugowie reminds me a lot about that role where he's, it's not like um, Clayton Oliver where he's going for the ball 24-7, putting himself at risk of injury. Yeah. Um, he's more just running around and letting Taylor Adams get the hard ball and then he's on, on the side sort of just chipping it out or taking that easy mark. So if, he's, if he retains that role, I'll, I'll be picking him without a doubt, without yeah. a doubt. But yeah. I just need to see that first. I'm not going to pick any player that I'm uncertain of their position um at this stage but yeah don't think you can go too wrong with Dugowie assuming he doesn't um line up where he did round one last year where he was playing like 75 percent forward yeah I mean yeah Mills frustrated the, like the heck out of me he, he's yeah as you said they just get the ball somehow and it, even if you watch the whole game you don't really see him um and they somehow score like plus 15 within five minutes and you're like where the fuck's that come out of so <laughs> really frustrating i'm a mate um lachlan i don't know if he listens to this podcast or not he had mills 
and it was the most frustrating thing because um, we were in a head-to-head -head league together and he would just score plus 15, plus 15, plus 10, just every mm. and he bit like you could barely see him on TV. So yeah. he's one of those players that they're all just, just in and around it and they get a quick handball out and, and effective as well. And Dugowie, surprisingly for me, was very effective with his possession. I was surprised by that one in and around the contest. Obviously not as effective as some of the best forwards in the competition, but for someone who I thought just butchered the ball, um, for, like obviously because he plays primarily forward, so it's it's hard to gauge where his midfield is at or midfield ability is at because he his main you know aim is to score goals, so he's not really looking to to accurately pass the ball around. But he definitely didn't seem too bad. Obviously he had a few shocking kicks here and there, but you know he definitely is one that's explosive in the midfield and someone that Collingwood you know could potentially continue. Who knows with with McRae, but um he's. I'd say he's probably, from a neutral perspective, is very important for that midfield to quit because he provides, you know, you always look at, at teams' midfields and you look at that one player that can explode. And for us, it's it's pretty much Jay Gresham, in my opinion. Um, obviously, we've got Jack Steele, but he's pretty much in and under. But you look at Melbourne's premiership winning side, and that was Petrarca. So yeah, plays that Petrarca-like style, and I'd argue um, at times uses the ball better than Petrarca. But um, yeah, if he if he plays that role for sure, hundred percent. And as I said, when I picked him up last year, I think he got him at four forty, so he's not much more expensive than that, and nah. score really well. Yeah, for sure. But um, yeah, I guess that's that's pretty much our sneak sneak peek uh, preseason selection. There's no real point going through every single player in our team because I say rookies are placeholders. But it's I guess it's nice to know that we've got similar sides at the moment. Um, we're kind of thinking on the same page. But um, just to finish up the, the latter part of the podcast, um, obviously it's well well documented now. I know like George and um, some other Supercoach um, uh, content creators have released their opinions on on the new, um, new rules that have been implemented in Supercoach that, in my opinion, and I guess we discussed it off air, is, is something that's well overdue. Um, and is and is quite important for the game to develop, and it's a nice progression because you, you look at other other fantasy sports, and they've all made changes in recent years as well. But there's a couple that Supercoach have made, and I want to just get your thoughts on them, Jonas. We've obviously I'm just reading them off now. We've got the trade boost, um, which you've got now 35 trades over 23 rounds, um, and at any round you can use up to five trade boosts, uh, five trades, which is essentially the the boost, um, and I guess. You can use either all of them, five of them, it doesn't really matter. And that's what some of the casual players being crying out for. And I guess that's also a reaction to the COVID situation ongoing. As we look at the AFLW, teams being knocked around. You look at the Premier League in England, um, teams have been shafted. So I guess it's an opportunity for you to fix your team up if you have a fair few players from one lineup. The other one is the player positions, which obviously AFL Fantasy had, that is now implemented Super Coach, which you'll see every you know couple of weeks. And you know, or I don't know how long they'll do it, but you'll see players' DPP change, which obviously makes team selection a very important because you want to maybe bring in some midfielders that are playing forward or, you know, defence playing mids, whatever. The trade updates, this one's, I guess, everyone's in a positive boat that now you don't have to lock in your trades by Thursday night, Friday night. You can do it whenever you want, barring obviously they haven't played their game. But I guess that makes it easier if you're busy Friday night, for example. I guess that's a pretty easy one to tick off and... Uh, there's a few there's customizational customizable leagues, which is I guess for those uh, mates that want to join up and trade assist, which I do want to get your opinion on Jonas later on. 
This is obviously only available for um, Supercoach Plus members. I know myself and for, for podcast reasons, but um, yeah, that's a, that's a new addition to that one. And that's pretty much, you know, basically like a trade helper in a, in a sense that kind of does the math for you to some degree. But what are your thoughts in general about um, those, those new changes, a, a general positive, you know, um, view on it, but, or a kind of negative view on, on some of those new changes? Yeah, I think overall I'm quite pleased with the changes, especially the trade boost one because now if you fall behind because you've got some bad luck because one of your premiums had an injury or something, you can still upgrade without falling behind the pack. Obviously, you sacrifice an extra trade, but that's going to have to happen for you to keep up. So I think that that change is good. 35 trades is... If they don't add any trades during the season, I think having 35 to start is better than giving us 30 to start and then five at some random point in the year when COVID impacts the season. Touchwood, it doesn't, but yeah. we'll see. I mean, yes. I mean, midfielders are getting more, more and more expensive and harder to get in compared to previous years anyway. So I think 35 trades is fine for now. I think that's a well overdue change. Um, the DPP changes as well. I think that's an important one because I, I, when I when we go through a season and you see Jack Zebel only listed as a forward when he he barely leaves the defensive arc of the ground is in a way almost comical, and so I think that's a good change to make. And just for strategic purposes as well, you can pick players earlier who you think may be playing defence or midfield and then they become um, or they have that new DPP status. So I think that as well is a pretty good change. And that sort of reduces the value of some of the speculative forwards like Thomas and Butters because they're not necessarily now locks for top six because there's going to be so many more forwards coming through that you've got to be a bit... um, mindful of who you start in the forward line and that's why I've only run with Dunkley because he's the only one I'm pretty certain will finish top six unless he uh gets injured yeah that's that's fair enough I mean I guess my two cents worth uh yeah the trade assist is an interesting one um yeah yeah, it's maybe takes a little bit out of the the legitimacy of, of people's abilities um, because you've got something to back you up, and and Supercoach Plus, I think, is only like twenty five bucks for the year, so it's not a bad price um, if you're into Supercoach, um, and it gives you not only to trade assist ability, but also, you know, who um, popular vice captains, trends, and stuff like that. But I guess the bottom line is, if you're serious enough about it, you're doing your own research anyway. And I guess this is only an algorithm; it's not a human behind the computer doing all the work for you and you're just pressing. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's basically taking data, raw data. And the biggest advice I tell people that play is, is you've got to use your eyes to, to watch the footy and make a decision yourself. Because if you can jump on that trend before everyone else does, even a week before it's, it's a huge plus um, for your year. Um, but I don't mind it. I guess it keeps the casuals involved, which is always a good thing. Mm. It's, it, you know, it's, it's the nature of fantasy sports where people build a team, they get pumped up about run, run, get a shit score and, and see you later. That's it. So 
it definitely keeps more people engaged um, for sure, which isn't a bad thing. Um, the player position updates, I guess you've, you've said it's, it's well overdue. It's pretty frustrating when, you know, you've got, say, Azebel who plays defence and it's in your forward line and you need a defender and he's playing defence and you can't pick him in defence. Um, is very frustrating. But now you've got the flexibility um, to move around, which is obviously what AFL Fantasy have done for a while now and it's really effective. I don't know, obviously, how often Supercoach do it. I think AFL Fantasy do it about two to three times a year even, not much. So whether or not they go more often and really try and track the actual movements of these players, which would be really great to see. Um, but it, it would be always nice because it adds another skill element to the game and it will definitely repay the faith for, for, for AFL fans that have watched a lot of footy and can really jump on those trends early. Um, and, you know, for example, you see Fife playing forward. He's, you know, most likely going to have that forward eligibility at some point. So it's definitely a positive. Um and I guess that the last one, which has been that trade boost and the and the thirty five trades, that's I've seen my fair share of negativity around that as well. But you know, I think coaches will appreciate that change once it comes to COVID. Um, like at the moment, obviously in Victoria, at least we're both in Melbourne, so the COVID cases have, have stagnated a little bit. And I know a fair few players been hit hard over pre season. I think there was an article released by the Herald Sun that we had a ton, there were a ton of players out by COVID. But I guess them having it early most likely means that touch wood that they don't get it later on. Um, more and more people getting their boosters as well. So, you know, it's just, I think it's just there as a safety net. And I guess it's, you know, people complain, oh, it's too many trades, but you get the same casuals who, who burn through their trades anyway. They'll burn through these ones as fast because mm. they'll have mm. five trades, they'll be really enticed and they'll go, shit, yeah, I can and trade five straight away for five like-minded players, especially if it's a, a rookie player. So I don't think it will affect the serious end too much. Um, but yeah, I don't think, unless you can think of something off the top of your head, Jonas, that I guess the other question is, do you reckon any of these, um, these bonuses or these additions to super coach, do you reckon any of them have a real negative impact? Not just in general, we've already discussed about that, but more so the case when it comes to weekly prizes or something like that, where it's an actual deciding factor. Yeah, I think, the only thing that would be negative about this whole trade boost thing is it's going to sort the weak from the strong quite quickly because those who use it aggressively and successfully early on without then being crueled by COVID and injury later on in the year are going to be miles in front, probably have an extra premium before many other people. So I think it's a scary uh, weapon in a way because you can play smart in a way and cautious and not use a trade boost, but be punished because these people who are using it aggressively to get in another premium and kick out a rookie who may make you some more money over three, four weeks or so um, will then skyrocket in front, even though you're making a good move of waiting in a sense for your rookie to um, max out in cash. Yeah. So I think that's a concern in a way because I think those in the past of one super coach or have come in the top 10, generally speaking, are those who are in the top 50 or so by the midpoint of the year. And the only way you can do that is through aggressive trading. Um, but we've seen how aggressive trading can also just completely cruel your season because you've run out of trades. So I think that's going to have to become an even more difficult balancing act with the trade boost 
So maybe that's the only criticism I can come across, but the trade boost still in itself is um, tactical and requires skill. And I think anything, there's enough luck in the game as it is. Yeah. So yeah. to have yeah. something that involves skill is, I endorse it. So yeah, I think yeah, yeah. the only, that it's a bit scary considering now that players can make three trades. Like you can make 15 trades um, over the span of five weeks and bring in like maybe two extra premiums compared to someone who only makes 10 trades over yeah. five weeks. Um, and then that player is going to be like 300 points in front and then you're just chasing tail for the rest of the season. But, um, yeah, you're going to have to use that very cautiously. Yeah, I guess that the only, as you said, the only concerning thing is is someone that goes real aggressive and makes a huge jump on the competition and, and everyone else is playing catch-up. And then it's almost like there's no real opportunity for anyone anyone else to come back. But I guess... Yeah. You know, definitely it'll deviate. I mean, it'll, it'll definitely differentiate between the strong and the weak. And, you know, I guess any any strong player is going to be in a similar boat. You look at last year and, you know, even though you have to be in the top, you know, top echelon to really push for the top prize, the, the gaps between, say, first and 100 is so, so close because of everyone having very similar teams. And that's something that's been so prevalent in, in, in recent years as well. Because obviously when Supercoach first came out, everyone had so diverse teams because of how the nature of it. But now obviously more contact creators, including us that have just joined the scene as well, um, have our two cents worth. And obviously you can see already from myself and Jonas's teams, we've got a very similar way of thinking in regards to Supercoach. So the team selections are going to be more and more similar. So it's going to be those type of things, which I guess add a bit of fun to the game. Um, but as I said, in, in previous podcasts with, with a season like COVID and, and something with COVID being so prevalent and footy being played in the winter. Um, yeah, I think you've just got to roll with whatever comes your way and, and you could have a whole schedule planned out about how you're going to trade it from round one. And then bang, you've got three teams out with COVID and it's, it's goodbye to that plan. So it's, it's going to be a season like no other, I think in the fact that they've already dealt with COVID. So it's not going to be a situation where they, um, disband the com uh, the competition unless there's a serious outbreak or something like that. Um, but I think it'll be a situation like you look at the EPL in, the, in England where you've got teams dropping left, right, centre, and then all of a sudden you've got to make last-minute trades just to swap primos in and out from each other. Um, but, yeah, I think that's all we've got time for today um, with our pre-season kind of team reveals. Um, we'll definitely do another one uh, towards the closer end of round one hopefully with a guest um which is yet to be confirmed but we'll definitely sort one out um for round one and and um hopefully we'll see you know what's changed since recording this one for pre-season but until then um yeah i guess you've got our gold coast one coming out on friday because this will be put up and uh, released for the public on monday so um the gold coast one will be back to our pre-season uh team reveal uh not team reviews pre-season um team talks um, and this was kind of a, just to break up the, the 18 teams a little bit, but until then we'll uh, see you next time. Yep. Thanks for tuning in.